Hello, and thanks for tuning in to this week's podcast from Prism Insurance Agency. As you know, we put in a ton of time and effort to make each of our shows as valuable as we can. If you find the information useful, please share this podcast with a friend by emailing it to them or sharing this on the social media site of your choice. With estimates currently putting student debt today at $1 trillion, give or take a couple nickels, there is a silver lining. College savings is up. But is it enough? Joining us today is Roger Mashad, chairman of the Nonprofit College Savings Foundation, to discuss the new state of college savings survey that was just released. Welcome, Roger. Thanks for having me. It's a real pleasure to have you with us today on past shows. I've mentioned I've got a couple kids in college. I know Tony's got that right around the bend for him. So this is a subject that's very near and dear to our heart. I know through the foundation you guys have done a lot of work in helping understand where parents are at and what's happening with college cost. And there seems to be a little bit of a gap there a lot of times for parents between what they need to save for college and what the costs are and helping to give the parents the tools to help prepare for this major financial event. Yeah, if you look at the landscape, parents that have children in high school today or even parents with much, much younger children who are thinking about college costs, college costs over the last decade have grown at more than double the rate of inflation. The student loan debt has just grown to a size that's just scary, I think, to a lot of families. In fact, the student loan debt now exceeds $1 trillion, more than all U.S. consumer credit card debt combined. That's a staggering number. Now, the foundation has done their sixth annual State of College Savings Survey of over 800 parents, and that showed the highest level of savings since 2007, plus the highest use of 529 college savings plans. So just kind of tell us, what are some of the key trends that you saw happen this year? Yeah, the survey was a pleasant surprise. Following 2007, as we all know, the markets took quite a dip in 08 and the early part of 09. And it seemed that college savers or parents primarily were backing away from staying committed to a plan maybe they had started and maybe had made a decision to stay on the sidelines till they felt a little bit more optimistic. But more people are saving, which is terrific, and they're more successful. In fact, from our survey, roughly 45% of families have saved more than $5,000 per child, and they're using the right savings vehicle, a 529 college savings plan. In fact, right now, our survey points to 30% of college savers are using 529 college savings plans. That's up from 24% a year ago. What are some of the other things that you found? I know costs are clearly a factor. 88% of parents, according to your survey, think that it's important to send their kids to college. And one in five have said they're restricting their children's expectations and can't afford a four-year private college. So we know the education is really important, but now we have this affordability factor. What has your survey found about maybe plugging that gap? Yeah, I think parents have come to the realization that a couple things need to happen. Number one, the child may very well have to contribute along the way as well. In fact, maybe even working while they're in university, at least through the summer and contributing towards those college costs. I think a concern that most parents have now, especially when they look at the cost of college, private versus public, they feel that in the end, their choices for their child or their child's choices where they would like to go to school and participate in that four-year undergraduate degree will be a little bit more restrictive. They may have to look at a list of colleges. It's not really what they had originally anticipated. Maybe they're going to look at a state school, which is fine. There are terrific state schools across all 50 states. But if you had anticipated you'd like your child to go to one of those premier four-year private schools, cost may keep you out of that loop. Uh, So you can never plan too soon. Roger, what did you learn in the survey about how parents are financing college today? Well, I think what they're 
trying to do is get started as early as possible. In fact, we found the most successful savers started before the children were age five, which is terrific. But our message to all families is get started as early as possible, but also realize it's never too late. Even if your child is in high school today, you've got a number of years before that first day of college, and you've got some time while they're in college to save along the way as well. Interestingly, the survey also found that many of the most successful savers utilize the advice of a financial advisor, which we think is key. Most college savers today have to go into this with an understanding that they really need three things to be a successful college saver. They need the expertise. They've got to understand what options are available. They need the time, the time to research what is most appropriate among those options for themselves. And they need maybe some help along the way in terms of making investment decisions. They may not have the desire to do that, the time to do that, or the expertise. A financial advisor comes into play to help them with that process. And I think more importantly, college savings is just one component of financial planning. A financial advisor will work with you on retirement, on college savings, and on other goals that you might have, making it more of a holistic plan instead of just a one-shot decision where here's what I'm doing for college and sometime down the road I may have to make some other decisions, but I'll delay that until I've got a little bit more time. Most successful savers really had to put a financial advisor to work to help them be the most successful. One thing that I think is very misleading for parents, and if they haven't really taken the time to really look into this, and let's face it, when you have a five-year-old, you're probably not astute as to what college actually costs and what it might cost when that child reaches college age. And I've seen a lot of surveys. We hear the consumer price index, and the government keeps telling us the inflation rate's at the lowest rate it's ever been. Yet I see other studies that I've read where they say things like college are actually exceeding that post at inflation rate by a multiplier of more than two. So if we have this high inflation rate for college and parents are in this false sense of security that the inflation rate is only 3% and they remember what they paid for college, they think they're probably well prepared or can wait till later to take care of that. But what are you finding the actual college costs are and what is that current inflation rate now? Yeah, the college costs over the last decade have grown at more than 5.5% a year. You compare that to the rate inflation, again, it's more than double. So I think what the survey found that many parents felt they didn't know how much they needed to save. And I think for the most part, many of them didn't know because they were looking at numbers that made it seem unreal. I mean, you're looking at a four-year college degree, 18 years down the road for a private school, some estimates at more than $400,000, and a four-year public school at $200,000. A lot of folks are throwing their hands up in the air saying, I own a home, I've got other obligations, how can I save in cash enough to purchase a home just to send my child to college? But I think the important thing to do is you've really got to be a little bit more realistic than that. Set a goal that is something that you can accomplish. It may be that you feel you'd like to contribute or save 25% of future college education. And surprisingly, along the way, what you'll find is not only are you being successful, but you're able to actually save more on an annual basis. So you increase that savings, the money that you're setting aside, hopefully on a monthly basis towards this program, and even more successful than that. So I think circling an amount that you're more comfortable with early on will allow you to be even more successful than you had dreamed 10 years, 15 years, and 18 years down the road. Roger, maybe share with us the top five strategies that successful savers are using right now for saving for college. 
our survey, once again, this is the sixth survey, found that the most successful savers kind of followed these rules. Number one, they started as early as possible, um, and the fastest growing list of beneficiaries, if, if that's what you like to call it, are the younger beneficiaries, say age eight and younger, getting started as early as possible. Using the right vehicle, obviously, is very, very important, and we think a 529 college savings program with the inherent tax benefits that are built into it allow you to save tax-free while you're in the savings mode, and as long as you take money out of that program specifically for qualified college expenses, we know that money's going to come out tax-free as well. Many families should be talking amongst other members of their family, even friends, about contributing towards your child's education along the way. There are many, many individuals that would be more than happy in lieu of another electronic game or another, I don't know, whatever might be the hot gift of the year to contribute directly towards a college savings program. And if you feel as a college saver, you need a little bit more advice uh, along the way, utilize the advice of a financial advisor. It may be key. It'll make a huge difference down the road. And it's somebody that can keep you on target. And maybe two years and three years down the road, if your $100 a month savings, you have the ability to increase that to 150 or 200 or more, there'll be someone there helping you make that decision and putting that plan in place. I think we've got some rules that have been significant that have made a really big difference, and our survey reflects that those are probably the more positive suggestions that we could give a college family to reach their goals. Roger, let's take a short break, and when we come back, let's talk a little bit more about the use of a financial advisor, so please stay tuned. This copyrighted program and its contents is given with the understanding that neither the hosts, guests, nor station render legal, medical, accounting, tax, or other professional advice. The information and opinions expressed here are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendation for any individual situation or security. For specific assistance, you should seek the services of a competent professional. To learn about a specific investment option, ask your real wealth advisor for a prospectus. Please read the prospectus carefully about the fees, expenses, and risks before investing. Real wealth advisors offer security and investment advisory services through Woodbury Financial Services Incorporated, member FINRA, SIPC, and registered investment advisor, P.O. Box 64284, St. Paul, Minnesota, 55164. Real Wealth Advisors and Woodbury Financial Services Incorporated are not affiliated entities. This is Real Wealth Weekly on the Real Wealth Advisor Network. Just for a moment, try to imagine you're dead. You think that's hard? Try this. You're dead and you don't have life insurance. What would happen to your family's home, to your family's finances, or your family's future? Now here's a thought to put your mind at ease. Life insurance takes care of things should anything happen to you. Death may be hard to imagine, but without life insurance, it's simply unthinkable. Welcome back as we continue our conversation today with Roger Michaud, who's the chairman of the College Savings Foundation, and we've basically been talking about their College Savings Foundation's sixth annual State of the College Savings Survey of over 800 parents that had showed the highest level of savings since 2007 and the highest use of 529 college savings plans. That is one in itself, just testament that this is a subject that more people are willing to talk about. And you had mentioned in the survey that of parents who use financial advisors, 65% had saved more than $5,000 versus only 34% of those who did not have financial advisory help. So what did you learn about the use of financial advisors in your survey? Well, it's significant in that if you're measuring who's having more success, obviously that account balance for each beneficiary is probably the most important measure. Financial advisors tend to have the discussion much earlier than family that might one day see a commercial or read an ad or attend a 
college fair where they're beginning actually thinking in real dollars what it's going to cost down the road. That discussion and that decision, if it could be made much, much earlier in the process, will make you a better saver, and financial advisors have been committed to doing that. I think another important aspect in using a financial advisor is every state has at least one program for 529 plans, and there are differences from state to state, and I think utilizing a financial advisor can do that. But let's talk about some of the similarities, because this is a federal law that makes it available, but it's done on the state level. So can you maybe share with our audience some of those tax benefits and other benefits that 529s provide versus, say, just setting up a custodial account? Sure. 529s offer significant tax benefits for savers. In fact, if you just think about the ability to save on an annual basis without being taxed and what that means to your growing account, if you were to look at a taxable versus a 529 college savings account, taxable account being a savings or a CD or what have you, in many cases you could be giving up a third to 40% of your earnings to taxes on an annual basis. That doesn't happen with a 529 account. 529s grow tax-free and as long as withdrawals are made for qualified expenses, tuition, room and board, books, fees, required supplies, that money comes out tax-free. The contribution levels for a 529 are significantly higher. In most cases, you can put as much as $300,000 or more per beneficiary in a 529 significant. So it allows anybody to get involved from somebody who's starting small, in many cases at $25, and many people who have the ability to save even more, much, much more, can put as much as $300,000 in a 529. A Coverdale, the limitations are much, much smaller. They both grow tax-free. The money comes out tax-free if they're used for qualified college expenses, but there's a bit more flexibility in terms of what's available for college savers in 529 savings programs. Now, traditionally in the past, a lot of parents and grandparents would use a custodial account, let's say, for saving for future expenses, but that's considered the child's money. So if a person's applying for grants, loans, scholarships, when you mention these big numbers that can be put into a 529 plan, how does that affect a person's eligibility if they have a 529 plan earmarked for them for those type of programs? Yeah, if you look at filing a FAFSA form, F-A-F-S-A, I actually uh, did that for the first time this past season. My son's a freshman in college this year. There's two assets that they're reviewing. They're looking at parents' assets and they're looking at children's assets. Children's assets are considered much more liquid, much more committed to the educational process. In fact, 35% of a child's assets are considered available to pay towards this year's tuition. Parents, on the other hand, have other obligations. They may have other children. They clearly have a much larger commitment in terms of where their dollars go. On average, roughly 5.6% of parents' assets are considered available to college. So it's much better to have assets in a parent's name as opposed to a child's name when you're filing for financial aid. I think just as significant is the control of those assets. Depending on the age majority in any particular state, usually 18 or 19, when that child reaches that age, these assets belong to him or her. So if they maybe decide they're not quite ready to go to college after they graduate from high school, they could very well take those assets and do whatever they want with them. They could go travel around Europe. They could buy a car. They could do whatever they want. You really lost control of the assets just simply based on that child reaching the age of majority. That's in a custodial account. In a 529, the account owner controls those assets. The beneficiary has no access to them. The account owner decides when you're going to take money out and where it's going to go. And the easiest way to take money out of a 529 is have it made payable to an institution, a college or a university. So control, I think, is the key in a custodial versus a 529. 
I'm going to take it to the next generation. For a lot of grandparents, that control thing is huge because they may have kids that, let's face it, we all think of our kids that maybe they're not quite living to our expectations. And grandparents may look at their kids and say, well, you know what, I'm not going to set up the money. And then they'll just take it out to remodel their house or buy a new car. I want to make sure this is used for college. So grandparents can set up these accounts too and maintain the control while at the same time getting it out of their estate for possibly creditor protection, depending on the state that you use. And also, from an estate tax perspective, there's some significant advantages of 529s as well. Can you comment on that? Yeah, and I think, as you mentioned earlier, using a financial advisor that can look at the landscape, what is the most appropriate program available for an individual family is key because there are states that provide very, very specific tax benefits that are an add-on to what's available just through the federal rules. There are states that offer scholarships, just based on being a participant over a specific number of years. There are programs that offer state tax deduction on a portion of contributions. In fact, 34 states today offer a state tax deduction on a portion of your annual contributions, which is, in a way, a contribution being made by the state in lieu of receiving taxes. So there are some significant advantages, in some cases, for state programs, but going directly to your own state program, probably without considering others, maybe means you haven't done your homework because it's a competitive environment and programs different in terms of what investment options are available. And now that the industry is 15 years old, you've got some performance you can actually take a serious look at and see how well that program is done over longer term periods of time, as opposed to just a few short years ago when you had much shorter return numbers. Now, if a family does set up a 529 for education purposes, this is a great bucket of money earmarked for the future cost. But share how people can communicate to other family members, if you're going to make gifts to my child or grandchild, hey, just so you know, this is in place, because that probably doesn't get communicated very often. And so many times, a person wants to give someone money, but they just don't know, is it another toy? Should I give them some cash? Where you could help parents and grandparents kind of promote the fact that this has been established and I think people would feel better about participating in something like college funding. I think maybe a couple quick ways. Most programs have a gifting program attached to it where you're able to even mail a card to friends and family and say, by the way, a birthday's coming up. If you have a desire to send Johnny or Sally a gift, maybe consider doing it through their college savings program. And they could just independently send a check into that program. Now, anyone can open a 529 program for a beneficiary. I could open one for my son and daughter. I could open one for my niece and nephew. I could open it for someone totally unrelated. So certainly for those folks that would like to consider contributing toward a child's education, it doesn't have to be a blood relative. It could be anyone. In fact, if you do it on your own, you're actually maintaining that control as the account owner down the road as well. I found it interesting in your survey that only 24% of families would ask a family or friend to contribute to their college fund instead of a material gift. That's kind of interesting. Yeah. In fact, a few years ago, we asked a question along those lines, which was we had asked grandparents whether they would consider contributing towards their grandchildren's education. And better than 40% said, I fully anticipate contributing when my grandchildren go to college. If I have the ability to do it, I'm definitely going to do it. You've got 40% agreeing up front that they're fully committed to doing it and some 20-odd percent actually being asked by their children whether they'd like to help their grandchildren along the way. So that's a question that needs to be asked. And by the way, the industry statistics speak to, uh, you know, parents participate in college savings in a big way to the best of their ability, but grandparents contribute in a big way. The bigger accounts 
it seems, our grandparents who are committing dollars, maybe because they're involved in some estate planning, trying to protect assets down the road when they were to pass, but more importantly, establishing a family legacy. They're committing today to help their grandchildren go to college. And even if they're not there, if some unfortunate event were to occur at their college graduation, that four-year graduation, that child and that family knows that grandma and grandpa had helped me get to where I am today. It's a significant event. One of the things you just said, a commitment, but with 529s, there's a lot of flexibility there. So one thing is if you're a grandparent or aunt and uncle and you're setting up this college fund when the kid's an infant, that might be a little scary proposition to put a meaningful amount of money in, not knowing if that kid's going to go to college. But you do have the flexibility of taking that money back. And yes, there's penalties and taxes, but you did enjoy that tax-deferred growth all that time. Or you can continue tax-free by just changing the beneficiary. Can you comment on that? Sure. The flexibility that are built in these programs is what makes them so appealing. And this whole ability to change beneficiaries down the road is significant. Let's assume you have grandparents who'd like to contribute to their two grandchildren. And they begin the program, they put a lump sum away, and they come to find out 16, 17, 18 years down the road, one of the children decides, I'm not going to college. I'm really into focusing on this business I've started. We know several very, very famous and successful people who've done that over the last couple of decades. And they decide, I'm not going. I'm going a different route. Well, you can change the beneficiary so that you've got two accounts for John's sister, Mary, and you've got much more to contribute towards Mary's education. You may find out that Johnny's a terrific athlete and gets a four-year scholarship to go to college for free, and you've accumulated this nest of college savings, what do you do with it? Well, if Johnny is your only grandchild and you don't have any desire to change the beneficiary, you can take that money out. If you take it out because that child had received either an academic or an athletic scholarship, that withdrawal comes out penalty free, and you're going to pay taxes on it. So it's accumulated tax deferred, and when you take the money out, you're paying ordinary income taxes, but no penalty as long as that child had received a scholarship equal to the value of the withdrawal that you had taken out. Sounds complicated, but it really isn't. It really helps, I think, savers down the road to not get put into a box where, oh, I can't believe I tried to do the right thing and I'm being penalized for it. There's a lot of flexibility to make sure those dollars are being used specifically to help a child go to college. And I'll just add one other point on a personal note. With my kids, we had 529 set up for them, but I had standards that they had to meet when they went to college. It wasn't about going on a four-year vacation. It was about getting an education. So even though I had one child that was going to school but wasn't applying themselves, we were able to change the beneficiary to the other kids that were applying themselves. So you do have a ton of flexibility with these 529 plans. We covered so many different things that with the 529 plan, I think I'll go back to that point of using an advisor because there are so many options available with this. It's important that you really consider using someone who's more versed on it than you might be. Absolutely. And our survey speaks to the fact that the most successful savers, and we used 5,000 as a number that is meaningful, were those folks that had put a financial advisor in place to help them along the way. Roger, let's close today with just talking about the mission of the foundation and also some of the tools that you can make available to consumers to help plan. Sure. The College Savings Foundation is based in Washington, D.C. We're committed to helping American families 
be successful college savers. We do that working on the federal level with legislation that has improved the program over time. We do it uh, on the state level to some degree, but I think more importantly, our organization is made up of investment managers, plan administrators, state leaders in this area, all working together to try to drive the message forward that getting started early, investing systematically, using the right program will make you a successful college saver. And I think when you look at the numbers to date, the college savings assets now exceed $158 billion and growing. It's uh, record levels today, record levels of beneficiaries. I think uh, we've been a small part of the success overall. Well, let's hope that those assets exceed the $1 trillion in debt at some point that there's more savings than actual <laughs> debt for sure. And the website again and things, do you have tools that people can just go ahead and promote that again? Sure. If you visit us at the collegesavingsfoundation.org, plenty of tools. And in fact, we'll send you other sites from there to do a little bit of planning, a little bit of calculating on your own of what it means to get started based on the age of your child, based on where you'd like that child to go to university, public or private. And don't be afraid to take a look at many of the plans websites as well. There's tremendous tools available to help you get started. Excellent. Well, listen, this is an ever-changing landscape, so I'm sure we'll have you back again in the future. We'd appreciate it. Thank you. I enjoyed it. Thanks for joining us this week. And tune in again next week as we explore another phase of the real wealth process. And remember, if anything you heard in today's show you'd like to get more information about, contact your real wealth advisor. Also, if you feel that any of this information will be helpful to a friend or family member, just click the Forward to a Friend button. This copyrighted program and its contents is given with the understanding that neither the hosts, guests, nor station render legal, medical, accounting, tax, or other professional advice. The information and opinions expressed here are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendation for any individual situation or security. For specific assistance, you should seek the services of a competent professional. To learn about a specific investment option, ask your Real Wealth Advisor for a prospectus. Please read the prospectus carefully about the fees, expenses, and risks before investing. Real Wealth Advisors offer securities and investment advisory services through Woodbury Financial Services Incorporated, member FINRA, SIPC, and registered investment advisor, PO Box 64284, St. Paul, Minnesota, 55164. Real Wealth Advisors and Woodbury Financial Services Incorporated are not affiliated entities. This is Real Wealth Weekly on the Real Wealth Advisor Network. Thank you so much for tuning in to this week's podcast from Prism Insurance Agency. We've got additional information and links in our show notes, which you can click on to learn more. If you have any questions about any of the topics covered or would like to learn more, you can go to our website, www.myprisminsurance.com. You can reach out to us on Facebook or LinkedIn or Twitter. Call us at 951-243-2800 or email me directly at prob at myprisminsurance.com. The email is in the show notes as well. Once again, thank you so much for tuning in, and have a wonderful week.